each of us, and I thank the Lord for it. I hope you won't miss the services this week. You know, I was thinking about revival services like you're going to have this week, today, this morning, tonight, Monday night, Tuesday night, sort of like the NBA playoffs. Yeah, it really is. I mean, the first game's important, but the second one gets a little more important. And the third one, the third game of the series, a little more important. And the fourth one's even more important. You know, you would, if you had a chance to go to all the games, you wouldn't just go to the first game. You know, because you want to be there to celebrate when, they, when your team wins, you know, that series. And so I hope you'll be a part of every service this week. And uh, I, I know that God will win in every service if we're faithful and uh, trust that you'll be in your place. I know it'll be a great week for you. And the preaching always helps us. You, you can't get too much preaching. Uh, if you do, the Lord will wear it off of you, you know. Uh, if you get too fat spiritually, he starts giving you some exercise. You know, he puts you to work, and so you can't get too much of the Bible. And I'm glad you're here this morning. Take your Bible, if you will, go to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 40. The book of Isaiah and chapter 40. You might recall that the book of Isaiah has 66 chapters, and uh, the Bible has 66 books. And there are 39 books in the Old Testament, and uh, the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah really carry an Old Testament theme. They talk about God, they talk about His holiness, His justice, His righteousness, and so on. But then we come to chapter 40, and it's almost like we're turning the page into the New Testament, as the first word of chapter 40 is the word comfort. And boy, when you come to Christ as your Savior, there's comfort. I don't know about you, but in this world that we live in, we need some comfort. And the only place there's comfort is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And I'm thankful for this kind of transitional chapter here in the Word of God. There's much in it, and we can't cover it all this morning in one service. But let's look at verse 6. I'll read a few verses, and then we'll look at a few others in just a minute as we get into the message. Verse number 6 of Isaiah chapter 40. The voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold your God. This past weekend, I was in Omaha, Nebraska, preaching, and, and we had an all-night activity for teenagers on Friday night. Started about 7 o'clock and went till 5 o'clock the next morning. Those are fun for an old man like me, I'll tell you. And uh, they had me preach about 7.30 in the evening and then again at 12.30 in the morning. And, and uh, the kids were great and, and they were having a good time playing all the games and doing all the stuff and eating all the pizza and all those kinds of things. But then they let me preach to them a few times. And there was a young man there, I, I think he was about 18 or 19 years old, and uh, he, he was, uh, I guess, kind of what you'd say was maybe a little bit of a loner. He uh, didn't seem to hang with any particular friends. He kind of was to himself. And even during the service, he sat kind of uh, alone. And, 
And uh, he was dressed kind of odd in the sense that it was a, it was a gym all-night activity, but he had on a kind of a heavy coat, and he had a stocking hat uh, kind of pulled down uh, over uh, his, uh, his hair and, and uh, just, just kind of to himself. And, and he listened to the preaching. He was very attentive. And after the second service, I don't know what time it was in the wee hours of the morning, but he came over and he said, how do you know there's a God? He said, I mean, you can't see him. So how do you know there's a God? I had a good time talking with him a little bit about that. But you know, there's a lot of things in life we can't see, but we know they're there. A couple of weeks ago up there in Lancaster, California, we got some wind. You maybe heard about it. And we get wind all the time, but not like this wind. Uh, I talked to some of the old timers. They'd never seen a wind like this one. It got up to 78 miles per hour in Lancaster. And I mean, it came in about noon, and it lasted until about 5 o'clock that evening. And, and we haven't had much rain up there. In fact, we've had less than one inch of rain over the last 12 months. It's been very dry. And boy, that wind got to kicking up that dust, and it was something else. You couldn't see in front of you. The Christian school let out the students at noon. I'm not sure that was a good idea because people were running into each other in the parking lot. Seventy cars piled into each other out on the freeway. Terrible accidents. Dust just blew everywhere. That wind forced that dust into every crook and cranny you could imagine. I walked into my office that evening, and there was a film of dust over everything. I had to take every book out of my shelf and wipe it off. I went out to my car. I turned the, the car on, and the air conditioner came on and blew dust all over me. That dust was everywhere. Now, I couldn't see the wind. I have no idea where it came from. I had no idea where it was going. But I sure could see the effect of it. And you know, I can't see God with my physical eyes. I don't hear His voice audibly. I can't go up to God and shake His hand like I've done with some of you this morning. But I know He's there because we can see the effect of God in our life. You know, we live in a culture today that's kind of given up on God. We live at a time when people are denying that God exists. We live in a time when it almost takes a tragedy like we've had this week in a couple of places for people to kind of dust off the old song, God Bless America. It seems like we kind of forget about God until something terrible happens and then we remember that maybe we could pray. Maybe we could talk to a God. It seems like we're getting farther and farther and farther away from God and our understanding of who He is. And I think that's because we've neglected the Word of God. You see, God is not who I think He is. He's not who culture says He is. He's not even who some church says He is. We meet God in the Bible. In Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20, the writer said, If they speak not according to this Word, it's because there's no light in them. In other words, if we don't get answers to our spiritual questions from the Bible, we don't have the right answer. There's no light in us. Jeremiah said in chapter 8 and verse 9, the wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they've rejected the word of the Lord and what wisdom is in them. In these days, everyone seems to try to find wisdom, try to find some understanding of what's going on. But the only place you're going to find that is in the word of God. And as we come to Isaiah chapter 40, we find what the Bible says about God. 
He first of all tells us that God is above all things. Look with me at verse 12 and let me read a little bit here. In verse number 12 of this chapter, who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with the span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord or being his counselor hath taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing. They are counted him less than nothing in vanity. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth over with gold, and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation, chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither. And the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their hosts by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. What a great God. Nothing compares to God. He's above all things. You know, sometimes we as human flesh, we get to thinking uh, that we're pretty good at stuff. We, we, we get to thinking we're pretty smart and we've got abilities and talents. But the writer here reminds us who hath created all these things. In six days, the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 2, there's none holy as the Lord, for there's none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy go out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him are actions weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken. They that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread. And they that were hungry ceased. For the barren hath borne seven. And she that hath many children is waxed feeble. For the Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up again. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust. And lifteth up the beggar out of the dunghill. To set them among princes that they may inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the worlds upon them. In Job chapter 9 and verse 1, I know it is so of a truth, but how can a man be just with God? If he contend with him, he cannot answer him one in a thousand. Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? 
which removeth the mountains and they know not, which overturneth them in his anger, which shaketh the earth out of her place, and the pillars thereof tremble, which calleth Arcturus and Orion and Pallades and the chambers of the south, which doeth great things past finding out, yea, and wonders without number. In Job chapter 12 and verse 7, ask now the beasts and they'll tell thee. Speak to the earth, it'll teach thee. The fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee, yea, who knoweth not that in all these the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? in whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. In Job 26 and verse 7, he stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. In Psalm 24 and verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the worlds and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. In Psalm 33 and verse 6, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth he hath established the waters, and his hands formed the dry lands. Oh, what a great God we have this morning. He's above all. You know, when you think about creation, you realize you're pretty small. You realize you're not as significant as sometimes we'd like to think. Do you know that the solar system that we live in this morning is six billion miles across? Now, it takes 36 years for one billion seconds to tick off the clock. But our solar system is six billion miles across. The galaxy that we live in is called the Milky Way. Now, no one knows where it got that name. I think it was when the cow jumped over the moon. That's when they named it the Milky Way. But the, the galaxy called the Milky Way that we're a part of, scientists tell us that if we could step back in the universe and we could look at the Milky Way from a distance, it would look like a giant bowl or a giant dish. If you could get on one end of this galaxy called the Milky Way, and if you could travel at the speed of light, which is 186,282 miles per second, now that's moving. I've often wished I could travel at that speed. I could preach, go home, kiss my wife, come back, preach some more. If you could travel at the speed of light, 186,282 miles per second, it would take you 100,000 years to cross the galaxy called the Milky Way. And we're just one of hundreds and hundreds of galaxies. The nearest star to us is the sun. The next nearest star is 26 trillion miles away. Scientists tell us if you could go to that star and take with you the world's most powerful telescope, and when you got to that star, you were to set up that telescope and point it back toward the earth and look through it, you wouldn't see the earth because we don't have a telescope that powerful. Our earth is 25,000 miles in circumference. It's 25,000 miles around the world. The sun is 1,300,000 times bigger than the earth. And God is the creator of it all. He made it all in six 24-hour days. He's above all. You see, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork, day unto day uttereth speech, night unto night showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their lines go out to the ends of the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Did you see what he said about the nations in verse 15? 
Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Back in Bible days, they used to measure things with a balance scale. And if you went into a store and, and, and you were to buy some flour or something like that, they would put the flour on one side of the scale and they would put a weight on the other side of the scale. If you wanted five pounds of flour, they'd put a five-pound weight over here and they'd put the flour over here and until it was balanced, uh, they, they, they would know that you had the right amount. Do you know that in Bible days it was customary for an honest merchant, when you came to buy something, he would take out a small cloth and he would wipe the balance clear of any dust. It was symbolic of him being honest. Now, dust doesn't weigh much. But he would wipe the dust off that scale to make sure that you were getting an honest weight. God says the nations are as the dust of the balance. In fact, in verse 17, he says all nations before him are as nothing. They are counted him less than nothing. Take all the nations, all the superpowers, all the medium-sized nations, all the little nations with all of their technology, all of their resources, all of their manpower, all of their military might. God says, compared to me, below zero. Less than nothing. Well, where does that put me? Well, verse 22, it says, the inhabitants thereof are grasshoppers. You know, we're not as big as we think we are. Because we have a great God. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness, beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the sides of the north, the city of that great king. Jeremiah said He's the living God. He's the true God. He's an everlasting God. He's above all things. But notice, secondly, this chapter teaches us that He's not only above all, but He is aware of all. Now, when you think about God and how magnificent and powerful He is, it's natural for us to think, this God, he, he doesn't care about me. I mean, if the nations are less than nothing to Him, why would He care about me? Why would He care about my burdens or my trials? Why, why, would, he, why would He be interested in my prayers? Why, why would he want me to sing these songs to worship him? I mean, what would a God that powerful, that magnificent, what would he care about me? Surely he doesn't pay attention to me. He doesn't care what I did this past week. He doesn't care if I live for God or live for myself. God this big, this powerful, he doesn't care about me. But we're wrong. Because look at verse 27. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord? And my judgment is passed over from my God. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, there's no searching of his understanding. God is aware of everything. You think about creation, it's fun to think about the big stuff. It just kind of blows you away in your mind to think about how big and, and magnificent creation is. But when you think about creation, you have to also think about the details of that creation. The earth is tilted on its axes. Whenever you see a globe, it's always tilted. Scientists tell us that our earth is tilted at an exact degree of angle in space. 
They say that if our earth was tilted just one degree, one direction, we would all freeze to death. If it was tilted just one degree the other direction, we'd all burn up. So our earth is tilted at this exact degree of angle in space so that life can inhabit this planet we call the earth. Now the globe down at the library or at the office, it's on a stand. You can go up to it and you can give it a spin and it stays at that angle because it's on a stand holding it there. But a minute ago I quoted Job 26, 7, he stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. This planet we're sitting on right now, it's hanging on nothing. Yet it remains at that exact degree of angle in space. And while you're contemplating that fact that it's at this exact degree of angle and hanging on nothing, it's also spinning once every 24 hours. Exactly once every 24 hours. And as you contemplate the fact that it's tilted at this exact degree of angle and hanging on nothing and spinning every 24 hours, it's also revolving around the sun. Details. You see, all the ordinances of God are according to His power, according to Psalm 119 and verse 91. See, the law of gravity, the law of thermodynamics, the law of hot air rising, that's all placed here by God. Exact details so that this planet can continue according to those ordinances. Jesus said, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them does not fall to the ground without your heavenly Father. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Yeah, I used to read that and I think, Wow, that's amazing. God knows how many hairs are in my head. Now, I'm sure He does, but that's not what the verse says. You know, we could figure out how many hairs are in our head. We could have somebody count them. It would take a while for some. Others, we could, we could, well, we could do before 1201. It's 12 now. Some of you look like your wife married you for the waves. Now all that's left is the beach. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. One fellow said, this is not a bald spot. It's a solar panel. <laughs> Maybe that'll work for you. But you know, the Bible says all the hairs of our head are numbered with God. Every hair on top of my head, every eyebrow hair, every eyelash hair, every whisker hair, God has them all numbered. Not one bird falls to the ground without God seeing it and knowing it and caring about it. Don't you think that God cares about what's on your heart this morning? When he has every hair in your head with a number on it, don't you think he knows what you're burdened for? Don't you think he understands the heartache? Don't you think he knows the prayer request? Of course he does. By the way, how foolish we'd be to think that we got by with some sin this week that he didn't notice. You know, we hear about these men who exploded those terrible explosives in Boston. And there's such surprise that they were seemingly good guys. I heard this morning, the one that's still alive, they said after he set off those explosives at the marathon, that next day he was with his friends in his apartment smoking marijuana and having a drink, and they said, we never suspected a thing. And they're just shocked. Such a good kid. How could this be? Oh, we can fool people around us, can't we? But we can't fool God. God knows who's saved in this room, and God knows who's lost. 
You could fool the pastor, and you could fool your spouse, and you could fool your friends, but you can't fool God about that. We could act spiritual, and we could act godly, and we could put on our Sunday best, you know, and look like a good Christian, but, but God sees the heart. Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see? Do not I fill the heavens and the earth? Oh, it took over a hundred hours to find that young man in that boat, but God knew where he was the whole time. Because thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins are in the light of thy countenance. O oh God, thou knowest my foolishness, my secret sins are not hid from thee. If we have forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a strange God, will not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. Jesus said, there's nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. That which you have spoken in the ear and closets shall be proclaimed from the housetops. He's aware of all. But I love the last part of this chapter because it tells us not only is he above all and aware of all, but he is able to do all. In verse number 29, he giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. God is able to do all. We look at our lives sometimes and we think, I can't do that. Sometimes people think, I, I, I can't get saved. I, I could never become a Christian. I've got too much baggage. I've got too, I've got too bad of a past. God, God couldn't save me. Sometimes as Christians, we look at our life and we're challenged by the word of God and we're challenged by the preaching and, and, and we know what God's word says, but we think, there's no way. There's just no way. I know me. And there's no way I could, I could get victory like that. There's no way I could see that prayer answered. There, there's no way that God could meet that financial bill. There, there's no way that God could use me to witness to my family. There's just no way that I could get victory over this awful sin in my life. And, and we think it's impossible. And with men, it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Jeremiah said, Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thy stretched out arm, and there's nothing too hard for thee. Nothing. Abraham was 99 years old when God said, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And Abraham said, God, I, I know you promised me a son. That was a long time ago. I'm 99 years old. And Sarah, bless her heart, she's a good woman, but she's, she's 90. We're past the age of bearing children. Biologically, it was impossible. But God said, is anything too hard for the Lord? And Genesis 21 and verse 1, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken, and Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son at the set time of which God had spoken to him. By the way, if you keep reading the Bible, Isaac, who was born from that miracle of God, lived to be 40. Sarah died when Isaac was 40. And Abraham got remarried and had five more kids. 
You see, we look at things and say, there's no way. But God can always make a way because he's able to do all. I don't know what's on your heart this morning. Maybe it's a wayward child that you'd like to see come back to the Lord, back to your family. God's able. Maybe it's an unsaved loved one or a co-worker. God's able to save them. Uh, maybe it's a prayer request that you've been praying for years. I met a lady one time that prayed for her husband to be saved for 73 years. And the day she died, her husband got saved. You know, we might think that God can't do this. God can't take this burden. God can't meet this need. God can't fulfill my life. But being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Listen, God can save you. God can meet your need. You can become complete in him because God's able to do all. Mel Trotter was a drunk. Mel Trotter drank every dollar he ever put in his pocket. One night he came home to his little apartment and his wife met him at the door with tears running down her face and she said, Mel, the baby's sick. We've got to have medicine. We've got to break the fever or she's going to die. Well, Mel Trotter didn't have any money. But his wife had secretly placed a few coins and bills in a kitchen drawer and she went over to that cabinet and pulled open that drawer and took out that little bit of money that Mel knew nothing about and put it in his hand and she said, please, Mel, Go to the pharmacy and get some medicine or she's going to die. Mel Trotter sobered for a moment at the thought of the death of his child. He took that money in hand and walked down the street toward the pharmacy. But as he did, he passed by the saloon and his thirst for liquor was so great that he turned inside and spent that money for more booze. He staggered home a couple hours later. His wife met him with the news. She's gone. At the funeral, Mel Trotter got up out of his seat. He walked up to the little infant casket. And he reached inside and he untied the baby's shoes. He slipped them off of her feet. He put them in his pocket. An hour or so later, after that little casket had been lowered safely into the cemetery grave, Mel Trotter walked from that gravesite to the nearest pawn shop and hocked those shoes to buy more liquor. But one night, Mel Trotter was walking the streets of Chicago. He was heading toward a bridge where he was going to jump and take his life because life no longer offered anything. But as he walked... He passed by a building and he heard music. He heard singing. And he looked up and under some lights was a sign that said the Pacific Garden Mission. And by the grace of God, he turned inside. He sat on the back row and he listened to the preacher preach about the love of God that night. And as the service ended, he walked down an aisle and Mel Trotter trusted Jesus Christ as a Savior. 
And God not only saved Mel Trotter that night, he quenched his thirst for booze. In fact, Mel Trotter went back to Grand Rapids, Michigan, his hometown, and opened a rescue mission for street people like he had once been. And in his lifetime, Mel Trotter opened 66 rescue missions across this country. Why? Because God can do all. And I don't know what your need is this morning. Maybe you've come in to this church this morning thinking, I've got some needs, but I can't meet them. I'd like to go to heaven, but I can't get there on my own. But there's a God in heaven that we learn about in this book called the Bible that says, I'm above all, I'm aware of all, and I can do all if you'll let me. We live in a troubled world today, but there's still a God. And we meet him in the Bible. And you can have a relationship with that God this morning through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And if you'll come to Christ this morning as your Savior, you can have fellowship with God who can do the impossible. And if you're a Christian this morning, we're complete in him. He's our all and in all. Stop trusting yourself. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Let's bow for prayer. As every head is bowed and eyes are closed, thank you for listening. Thank you for coming. Could I ask you a question? We've all listened to the news and watched the events unfold in Boston this week, in Texas this week. We've heard about the loss of life unexpectedly. No one was standing at that finish line thinking they were going to die. None of those men in West Texas went to work last week thinking it would be their last day. But life and death can take some twists and turns that are unknown to us. And I wonder how many of you in this room could say, Mr. Gedge, if that had been me this week, if I had been standing there at that finish line, or if I had been in West Texas this week, and those terrible things had happened, and my life had been taken, I am thankful this morning that I know that I would be in heaven because I have asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. If that's your testimony without looking around, would you just lift your hand for a moment? You know that if you were to be absent from your body this morning, you'd be present with the Lord. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Isn't that a great truth? Thank God for your hands. You may place them down. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, Preacher, I have no idea. I have no idea where I would spend eternity. I have no idea when life is over where I would go. I'd sure like to know. If the Bible has some answers about that, I'd like to know what they are. And I wonder if you'd let me pray for you. I can't save you with my prayer, but I can sure pray to the one who can save you and ask him to help you and ask us to help you. And so I wonder, maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know, preacher, I have thought about life and death this week. I have been confronted with that fact. And today... I've heard some things about God, and perhaps there is an answer in, in, in the Bible about eternity. And I'd like to know what that answer is. Pray for me. 
I wonder if you couldn't lift your hand a minute ago. Could I pray for you? You're not sure you're on your way to heaven. Would you mind just slipping your hand up for a minute while heads are bowed? And let me have prayer for you. Is there someone like that? God bless you. You can slip it down. Is there someone else? Pray for me. Pray for me. I'm not sure about eternity. Pray for me. As heads are still bowed, I wonder how many Christians who raised your hand a moment ago would say, boy, Brother Getch, I've gotten a new perspective on God this morning. I know he, he's all-powerful, but I didn't quite put that in a personal context until today. And I realize afresh this morning that he cares about me. He knows my burdens. He knows my needs. He knows what's on my heart. He knows about sin in my life. He knows about disobedience. He knows it all. And this morning, God is speaking to my heart about things in my life that God knows about and he wants to help me with, and I need you to pray for me. Would you lift your hand? You raised it a moment ago saying, I know I'm saved, but God's speaking to your heart this morning about a need in your life as a Christian. Good. Let's pray together. Father.